0: Block Talk Radio.
1: Welcome to the Decoding Society. This is your host, D'Angelo Starnes. Today is Saturday, January the sixth, twenty eighteen. It's our first show of the uh, new year, uh, so to speak. It's also the beginning of our 10th season on the air. Um, so uh, we started in 2009 and uh, we're still going strong here in 2018. Um, so today's show, uh, last week, I hope you were able to enjoy. And if you haven't listened to uh, our Coon of the Year show, uh, please check that out. Um, also, um we are posting polls link on some of those categories that were discussed last week. Please vote. We will discuss the poll results on uh, a uh, show uh, from one of our previous co-hosts and contributors, Ernest Champel's uh, podcast, "The World According to Ernest." Uh, but today, uh, as it is our first show of 2018, we want to uh, take a retrospective on. 2017 by discussing some of the underreported stories uh, from 2017 that had um, a significant impact on the black community and, uh, and then kind of tie together how we can look at how to catapult or use those things going forward in 2018. Uh, joining me uh, is our Saturday regular, Chris Cathcart. What's up, brother? Hey,
0: man. What's, up? What's going on?
1: Hey
0: you! Happy <laughs> New Year! All, all I
1: know is, all I know is, I'm happy I didn't make the coon list. That's all I know. <laughs> well, no, you ain't. <laughs> hey, if you make the coon I, list, you can't be on the show no more, brother. <laughs> dude, I,
0: I listened. I listened so carefully. I listened so carefully, and I, I was like waiting. I was listening to it at the gym, the podcast. I said, I know my name's coming up. I know my name's coming up, but I didn't make the list. <laughs> no.
1: Nah. Oh, uh, good. And uh, well, look, man. Let's uh, let's just dive right on in, man. Um, well, we got. Wait a minute. You don't, you don't uh, want to talk about. You
0: don't want to talk about the fact that your president is a self-proclaimed genius. You don't want to talk about that. I'm
1: thinking about making him an honorary coon or dishonorary coon. To be <laughs> <out there. laughs> this motherfucker's a buffoon for sure. <laughs> <laughs>
0: I don't think I've ever heard anyone in a serious context refer to themselves as a genius before. Mm. I, that, seriously, I mean, I, and that—that that is a cross-category. That is in entertainment, that is in politics, that is in, I can't think, I know a lot of people who've been called geniuses, but one who is right. self
1: proclaimed. Hell, I don't think Einstein said that. Well, no, you know, but you know what I have heard? I have had, I've had, I have heard people... No, I haven't either. I haven't either. Let me just... Let me agree with you. But I have heard people refer to themselves as an intellectual. And that fucks me up as much as how this dude is proclaiming himself a genius fucks me up. Because that kind of, to me, is somewhat of an equivalent. Like, I'm an intellectual. I'm like, who told you you weren't... Hey, that's something some other person designates uh, you as, man. So, um... Did he tweet that this
0: morning? You, yeah, he he actually. It will probably one of the tweets will probably tie into the topic of today is that um, he also tweeted about the, the the falling black unemployment rate. It's like six point eight now, I believe.
1: <laughs> okay, yeah, Hell, we're
0: gonna talk and about
1: I, that. <laughs> Go ahead. And and and,
0: and let me and let me be clear to yourself and any of the listeners who was going to bemoan the fact that unemployment is down. Period. And definitely for the purposes of this show, and many of our listeners that are down in the black community. Um, But for this guy to go on and take credit for it, um, I think he said it made him. It's just—it's like this whole presidency is episodic. It's like like following us. It's literally like following a soap opera. Except (laughs) you don't have to wait a week. Remember, we were kids. You'd have to wait a week for the next episode of whatever the show was. This is a daily. This
1: is damn near hourly that we get new, new
0: new information per episode. So, anyway.
1: No, nah, that's that's funny, man. Because, um, okay, so, all right, so current events. So, okay, so some of the the, the book that just came out, what is it? Fast and no, what is it? In theory? Fire and Fury by Michael Wolff. Wolf. Yeah, so I, I read the summary that was in a New York magazine, and I swear it read like an epic. Of episodes, like you said, of episodes of Beep. Do you watch Beep on well, HBO? Well, I mean, um, h- here's the
0: thing about that. I, You know, my training and background is in public relations, media relations. And so mo- many of the places I work, when I work at CNN, when I work at Motown Records, Warner Brothers Television, uh, many of the accounts I had as an independent um, contractor, one of my responsibilities was to shepherd interviews, right? To get a guy who was writing for Business Week or the Wall Street Journal or the New York Times or Black Enterprise, whatever it was, and shepherd the guy who may be interviewing the CEO, whoever it is. So the idea that somebody would be allowed to hang out just just willy-nilly and take notes for a book or an article is beyond bizarre.
1: That would never happen
0: in a controlled environment,
1: ever. Well, that's because the guy's a genius. <laughs> I mean, his <laughs> ego got in the way, man. No, you, you. If you, as a PR person in media
0: relations, if you worked at a front line, if you worked at any company, a university, a Fortune five hundred company, and you allowed that to happen, you would get fired. If that happened,
1: but so, is, so, so, explain, explain why that, why you would get fired. Is that, yeah, because you're not controlling the narrative. Is that, I mean, yeah, I mean, what, you what, don't wanna what, oh.
0: when, in, in the context of media relations, when you're the, the journalist and then when you're the PR person, it's a it's a constant push and pull. You kind of both want something out of it, and you, you both understand that. So the journalist's job is to get the information that may be relevant to their readers or viewers, whatever it is. Your job is to get the information out about your company or organization or purpose that's going to move you forward. So you have to find a way where you can meet someplace that's comfortable and convenient for both. Maybe uncomfortable at times for both sides, but – where you both give a little you get a little. The concept of you just hang out and you watch what happens and you take notes unvetted, you talk to people without being screened about who you're talking to, what you're talking about, what's the purpose of this, I mean, that would not happen. I mean, that's the purpose Mm. of media relations, that you have someone who, you know, in a tactful way, that's respectful to both sides, organizes and orchestrates how this goes down. So this concept that he had a blue ticket, I think a blue press pass allowed him into the West Wing and all other places, and was sitting on couches doing meetings and just walking in and interviewing people. It's beyond bizarre to me. How was that allowed to happen? But anyway, I, I wasted too much time on that. It just that—that's just as a professional, I, that just made me. And that's not for Trump. That's for anybody. I'd be like, how was that allowed to happen?
1: Big. So you tell me. You basically telling me when we get these inside the White House or inside the boardroom and inside what you know fill in the blank we're getting we're still getting a controlled narrative no matter how intimate
0: the right yeah, appear. and here's the thing I, i've worked with savvy um, politicians and business leaders who who were famous for um, making direct contact with reporters and so you'd read something in a would be someplace. You'd be like, well, who approved? Who, who set that up? Who approved? They go, no, he called on his own. Mm. And there were people I work, with, I don't have to mention the name, who were very savvy at that. They knew how to plant an idea or a story or, you know, float a financial number out there that's wrong just to see somebody run with it, and they'd have fun with it. But that's the rare exception. Most of the people shouldn't be talking to the press unless you organize how, when, and why.
1: Mm. And and, mm.
0: and so so to to get enough material for a book, but bananas. <laughs> I
1: would have been like, that Who fucks is that me guy? Up. why is he in here? What
0: is he? Why is he fucking. Who is that?
1: <laughs> hey, man. I want the tapes, man. I want to hear the tapes. I ran to the bookstore, man. I had some shit I had to do. I had some stuff I had to do earlier yesterday, of course. You know, we all got day jobs. But, um,. After I was done, I went to the bookstore and they had not one copy, because um, I was just gonna sit and read that joint. So um, anyway, like you said, we let's get to the underreported because that's massively reported right now. Um I'm to so <laughs> go with your first, your first, your our first uh, underreported story uh, is going to seem a little ironic. Um, it's Colin Kaepernick, but it's not Colin Kaepernick for. Um, because that was a massively reported story but it was it was a misleading kind of a story and you got a um you got an angle to it uh, that I think is worthy that 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 fits what we're trying to do and so just to recap um so Colin Kaepernick the quarterback for the San Francisco 49ers was a starter um came onto the league was burning it up got hurt came back, uh, was kind of so-so, played through and hurt, and then his last year, last year, the year before this last season, uh, started for a really bad team. Uh, performed uh, pretty well, given what he was surrounded with. Um, mm-hmm. But during the course of that, was seen sitting for the National Anthem. It spread like wildfire and became uh, about anthem protests over what this brother was actually uh, uh Protesting, so I'll let you take it from there as to why you think this is kind of an underreported story or the underreported component to this story.
0: Well, yeah, I, I, you know, obviously the story of Colin Kaepernick has been reported relative to what he did, and not so much why, oftentimes, because that often got lost in, him, to be honest. But what he did and the impact that it had in the NFL uh, as an organization, and but it 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 slowly but but consistently moved from just being about a guy getting the gig. Because remember, when it, when it first started, people were protesting and boycotting. It was about trying to get him another job, right? get him hired, yeah. get him a, get you know. And, and then you got the sense that if that happened, people would start watching NFL again, and and the major reasons that he that that he became iconic would kind of fade away. But if you look at the undercurrent and what he essentially became was kind of. Um, the, the face of a rebellion, of uh, some form of movement that took on various elements. And it wasn't just sports. It was for economic um, uh, rights and e- equality, um, social justice, political justice and equality and rights. And I teach a, a, a media and diversity class at Cal State Northridge out here. And so I taught this past semester, and the class discussed how various groups of people, African Americans, Latinos, LGBTQ, um, Native Americans, women are depicted in the media. And you'd be amazed when I had the students write about all these different topics, how they use Colin Kaepernick as a touchstone to address many of the issues that came about, about the lack of diversity in the media, how various groups are depicted. And and it just struck me that that, that this thing moved much more, um, quietly, that a lot of us paid attention to from being like this idea about this guy getting a job to how he was representative of a broader movement. Now, what I ma- what it made me think of was that, and I'm not trying to make this analogous to Muhammad Ali, but in many ways, when Ali didn't get inducted into, we refused to be inducted into the Vietnam War, into the draft, that wasn't just about that. That became, that wasn't just about him getting like, okay, we'll give him a boxing license again. Think about it. That was kind of the same concept.
1: Yeah, he didn't go to the Vietnam right. War, that's they stripped
0: right. him of the boxer, right? So let's get him another boxing license so he can go out and earn a living. I guess that was 67 or so, I think, when he refused induction.
1: Yeah. But that
0: actually set yeah. off a wave of protests that became more than that, that took took fire on college campuses, which is a lot of what Colin Kaepernick did too. And it was set an undercurrent for the anti-war movement. Um, it came right around the Black Power movement. And so that kind of Tommy Smith, John Carlos, those things fit into a larger narrative. And I think what's was not been discussed um, you could probably feel the undercurrents of the Colin Kaepernick energy with what happened in Alabama, the, the, the yeah. increased turnout, the increased energy. And I, I'm hoping that, that those who are um, involved in these leaderless leaderless movements are able to capture some of that energy, because it's not about them getting the gig anymore. That, I, I don't even think about that anymore. It's about how do you capture that energy and translate it into – other areas of social, economic, political justice and and struggles that go way beyond him, and I think that we haven't really dealt with that. I think it was always and and Donald Trump, to many degrees, because of the you know making it about the the ungrateful black athlete took the focus mm-hmm. away, even for many of us who call ourselves progressive and try to be defensive and you know protect these cats. And we should have been like, listen, this, this, let's take that energy and turn it into you know, anti-voter suppression movements, take that energy into voter mm-hmm. registration, take that energy into you know, address many of the other issues that, ills and uh, things we face in our society so hopefully moving into 2018, now that we know he's not going to get a job now in the NFL, who's damn sure not this season because it's over the playoffs start today, right? That that we yeah. now see this as as a as a movement energy that can be transferred into other areas and not not just rest on whether or not this guy gets another job or not.
1: Yeah, I, I would I agree with you on that. It um, did seem to spark um, some, and it is, like you said, you know, it, it, there is some parallel to Ali because you know, once that high profile person said no, I'm not doing it, you know, it did kind of pick up, you know, in terms of in the streets and on college campuses, you know, anti the anti war movement became more visible. Um, I. Uh, you' that know, another uh but you did hit on something, but the underreported also another underreported part about that is like you said near the beginning of your statement was um was why he was sitting i mean, that yeah that's became... speaking out of brutality of the treatment of
0: people of color by the authorities, yes, and that was that that yeah. always was that you always had to add that as an addendum, that always had to be the afterthought after you talked about all the other stuff. And that's why he did it in the
1: first place and to the, and two so so I noticed that uh e s p n uh carried a thread where it had a every every Monday they posted the list of players that sat for the national, <laughs> <That's> national. right. <laughs> i mean it was the same the same ones at the end of the year were the same ones at the beginning of the year it picked up during the middle when the owners got involved in that fox or false uh uh Protests against Trump, you know, you know this. I think all that was orchestrated, uh, to be honest, to distract away from what the underlying, uh, you know, what he was drawing attention to, and then also, uh, also, you know, one thing I heard, you heard a lot early is what is he, what does he want to do, and what is he doing, and you know, the cat wasn't drawing attention to himself, so underreported was the stuff he was doing, you know, which was conducting right. these Know Your Rights camps, um, and, you and know, he, his donations. And he, right. Right.
0: and he was very focused on um,
1: to his credit. It,
0: you know, and he, and from what I understand, I've read, I think, that oh, article you sent me about the writer um, who is writing a book with Michael Bennett and has written a lot about that. Zarin, I think his name is. And I, and I was Zayren. Yeah. Uh, Colin Kaepernick does have a fairly quiet demeanor. He's not a he's not a rah rah go out there and give a fiery speech type of guy. But he's been giving money to progressive movements and to causes, and lending his name to you know issues way beyond just his own personal benefit. So to his credit, um, he has actually been doing one of the things. I just said It's just that the public eye was still on him versus Trump, or him versus NFL and Goodell, and all that. Well, I always thought that the undercurrent of what that meant overall, um, not, and beyond just police brutality and the treatment of people of color by authorities, what it meant to other social issues wasn't really focused on them. I'm hoping as we move into this year that particularly the, the midterms, so that, you know, election years always amp up the energy on the political front. So hopefully, yeah, yeah. Um, you know, people will capture some of that energy and go out and be aggressive in, you know, challenging voter suppression um, activities. And other things
1: like that. Yeah, and I hope that other athletes are just as public as he was at the outset or as, as he was pulled into uh, at the outset. Um, so, yeah. By, by the way, um, Dave Zyron uh, and Howard Bryant, who's a writer for The Undefeated, they uh, did, a, they, they did a, a a podcast on Zyron's Edge of Sports um Last week uh, where they talked about This topic, the black athlete The history of the black athlete Uh, I'd encourage people to check that out So moving forward You
0: you know Just to add a really quick addendum to that Is that uh, um, I read an article really briefly That talked about the history of sports and protests And politics And and Uh it's, it's so closely associated with black athletes Because of Ali and Jackie Robinson And Jack Johnson But the history of sports in America goes back to, you know, the founder of this country. When they had elections and they, they, you know, when horse racing was like the big sport, Yeah, they would often call, the the horses would take names of opponents, of political opponents. And then when people had fundraisers, Ah. they would have racism. They They would have political opponents in the 1700s, 1800s, where they would actually have athletic competitions as part of their fundraising activities, and then they would be partisan. So the concept of using sports to raise political issues that has not been the domain of black athletes. That actually is a fairly new phenomenon. I think you could probably trace that line to Jack Johnson forward, but it had been going on for a yeah. couple of centuries before that.
1: Yeah, no, good, good pull. Good pull. Ironically, the first uh, uh, horse jockeys on, in horse racing were black. They Ooh. were all black. <laughs> right. Yeah. That, yeah. There was nobody, that's a hidden story. Um, I want to combine uh, kind of these next two. Uh, but uh, so you also brought up an interesting topic um, uh, where you said that a black political power, many under Obama, many thought we had reached the pinnacle under Obama of black political power. But now that Trump has taken over, um, it seems that that black political power is at least not as visible or, or I don't know, we, we lost it. Or I, So I'm going to let you kind of take the lead on that, and then I think we can feed be that into another underreported. Show. Well, man, I, I'm
0: no genius on that. I just know that this, the overriding opinion when Obama was elected was that, you know, this we had reached the mountaintop. Right? This, this, that's the biggest seat. That's the most important seat. That's the highest seat in the balcony, the highest balcony in the theater. So we, when we finally reached that pinnacle, one would think that as um, black political power had reached its zenith, then then we get Trump. <laughs> and so right. I, I, I would I'm 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 wondering where those who are on the forefront of black political thought and activity figure out where our power base is now. Because remember, it used to be, um, I guess, in the outside of post Reconstruction, we had that brief period when there were some black governors and things. The modern era. Black power was kind of centralized mm-hmm. in mayorships, right? We had these urban centers that became that got their first black mayor. Mm-hmm. So we had, with Kenneth Gibson in mm-hmm. Newark, uh, yeah. uh, elected officials like Carl Stokes and John Conyers and yeah. Tom Bradley went in, in L.A. Remember Tom? When Tom Bradley went in L.A., that was a major thing, still, right? That, yeah, that was so. Huge. That yeah. David Dinkins in New York. So there was a time yeah. when um, the uh, the Marials in and New Orleans. There was a time in our in our intensely urban centers where we had black mayors who contributed mightily to the concept of black political power, along with, um, you know, congressional representatives, never had too many senators, but some congressional reps and statehouse. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, gentrification is really changing that dynamic now. a lot of these cities that have been historically black. I mean, D.C.'s teetering, Atlanta almost went out of black hands in terms of the mayor's seat. So that ain't the base of power anymore. Um, Congress has always been, you know, we could have that argument which where that pendulum swings. And so I, I'm just curious, and I don't have an answer for this, that moving forward, where is going to be the base political, black political power in this country, particularly under the Trump era? Is it going to be at the state level? Um, with state legislation and then is, and then we don't is it going to be organizationally because you know the civil rights movement was really pushed by organizations not much so much by elected officials so that's the SCLC, and and yeah uh
1: you
0: know it, uh, the urban league and all these groups we don't have that anymore not to that degree so where will be that degree of agitation articulation of the issues that matter in our community from a political standpoint I'm curious to see if this is going to be a hybrid of, you know, various different elements.
1: that makes sense? Yeah. I, yeah. Oh, no, absolutely. Absolutely. Because, you know, as you were saying that, and, and to add to your list, you can uh, – Harold Washington, that was big, in Chicago. Um, Harold Washington I was the guy, huge. Yeah. Yeah. The, the, and, um, uh, and Marion Barry in D.C., you know, uh, he got a bad rap. And some of it, you know, was self inflicted, but you know, the brother did consolidate, you know, quote, black power uh for a while in D C. Um I you know, we may be going back to uh those levels of concentration. What what I what I what I find the the irony is uh that it we're it seems that we're more concentrated on uh exuding or creating black power so to speak. Um, during downtimes, During times of repression and oppression You know like you said The yes. civil rights movement Which began a black power movement uh, And now you know It seems you know I've said this on this show many times It seems like we fell asleep on Obama, Um, And you know We wanted to support the brother Because we knew he was getting a bad rap In many ways because he was black And uh, like you said That was the ultimate seat uh, and I'm not so sure that that was Black Power, you know. I mean, that was Black support in many instances right. that you know, helped him get the, there. It, it gave it gave the appearance
0: that, I mean, on many sides, even though those paid attention to it, it wasn't really, you know, it was a very unique candidate at a very unique time at, that that wow. that hit all the right buttons. That didn't end. It didn't end the issues of of race and class in this country because Obama was elected, no more than if Hillary won this time around. That sexism. And the whole Me Too thing wouldn't make sense because okay, we got a woman president, so I guess everything's everything now. But there are a lot of people, who uh, talk and you, you 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 know, this going to school at Howard in the '80s when Reagan was in right. office. Um, when you have a very um, vocal and present opposition, it is easier to organize. It just is, yeah. you know. You don't have to convince yeah. people that they need to do something, and so you know, if there is a blessing under this whole. Bizarro land we live in, with Donald Trump as president um, going into 2018. That people say, okay, the, the shock of him winning is over. Right now, we got to deal with the policies, all these judges he's been yeah. appointing, all these things he's doing on a quiet tip. Now we have to really organize the way I think we organized, you know, during the Reagan era. I mean, uh, you know, yes. with Reagan and apartheid right there in our faces, you know, we were that Howard. We were, you didn't have to convince people there were problems. You just had to try to encourage them to be active, but you didn't have to explain to them that there was an issue. And right. I think now with Trump, we don't have to, you know, we can, I don't hate to use the violent terms, but we can use those bullets for other things. You don't have to make people understand they need to do something. We just need to get together and figure out what these things are that need to be done.
1: There. So you fed right into where I was going. So, and I'm glad you used Reagan because then we got another Reagan moment, so to speak, um, to, to to galvanize and, and reorganize our energies, Um so uh, I like that. So let me uh, shift right into the next topic, which was uh, voter suppression. And you had mentioned this earlier. You know, one one rallying point uh, that we can uh, that we should be uh, moving around is voter suppression. The voter suppression um, in the 2016 presidential election was an underreported story in 2017, and it was to the indifference of. This RussiaGate madness that uh, that people uh, latched onto uh, this notion that uh, quote whoever these guys are but these faceless Russians uh, swung the the election in favor of Donald Trump and what you didn't hear about or you heard very little about was how uh, voter suppression techniques. Uh, actually caused was, whereas just as responsible for Trump, and I and 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 there's concrete evidence of that. So, um, so and 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 when we talk about voter suppression, we're talking about voter ID laws. We're talking about uh, 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 vote, Change in voting laws. Period. So voter ID laws, strict well, voter yeah, ID cl- laws. Cl- cl- you know, um, um, closing, closing polling uh, places early voting down.
0: Um, closing early, places closing places down early down.
1: voting. Closing voting um, and or sure,
0: and, down. Right, right. And showing sure, like states like Texas where you can use your gun license to to vote, but you can't use your college ID. Um you know, the, that that you 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 marry voter suppression uh purging people from roles to being felons or or reported felons. Um Crop
1: you, six, you yes.
0: Right. You you marry those things with the gerrymandering and redlining of the districts. Um, and it becomes a real issue and voting is an issue that that is almost it's, it's so fundamental that that it, It's like a campfire. There's many different people and different groups that can get around that and find a common interest and um, I just don't think as a community we had enough outrage and I hope going into this the um, and I, I You know what Reverend Barber did in North Carolina was probably illustrative. Yes. yes I think could be happening in various different parts around the country, but you know, like I said, with the election of uh, Doug Jones in Alabama, you know, if they put any list of demands on his desk with his new black chief of staff, um, you you should be the, the the voice on the Hill about voter suppression. And, you know, coming from Alabama, white Democrat, you need to be banging that drum real loudly. You, and the, his constituents and even those outside of his district or the state, they need to make sure that he stays vigilant on that. So but,
1: trust me, and we need he, to. He, he, he should know
0: where his, bed, his bread is buttered now that he won that election on the strength of black women.
1: And you're talking about a, a white senator, and we got people in Congress, as you pointed out earlier, because of the exercise of black power, who are in Congress right now, congressional black caucus members, who should be banging this drum too, because the black demogra- the black community, is the most loyal uh demographics that the Democratic Party has and they were most adversely impacted by this, these uh, these changes in voting up uh, voter ID laws and these changes in voting hours uh laws um in the right. country and 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 Wisconsin one of the one of the states that that swung the election towards Trump and Milwaukee there there's a study by the um my priorities, uh, USA Vote. There's a study, Civic Civic Analytics, Priorities USA, uh, that they issued in May 3rd of 2017. It is, is titled Voter Suppression Analysis. Check it out. Uh, read Ari Berman in Mother Jones. Uh, he just put out an article. Uh, he, he discusses this particular study where it's in Milwaukee, in particular, uh, you lost 41,000 votes, black votes. Wow, Trump won Wisconsin by 13 votes. So, and 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 and, and reason why I bring up the Black Caucus make the connection. The representative in Milwaukee's Black District that was hard hit, that was hit hard by this voter suppression, this vote ID law, strict vote ID law, is Gwen Moore. She's the Congressional Black Caucus Whip. I haven't heard her talk about voter suppression yet. She's mm-hmm. talking about Russia Gate. This is so we got to turn our focus. On, so we talk about underreported and what we got to do moving forward. Let's use our black power, so to speak, to protect our community's right to vote. Because a lot of people want to vote, they work hard to vote, they get organized hey, to vote, and then they can't vote or the votes aren't counted. And and one of no, the stories, one of the what, one of the reported stories was well, voter turnout was low. What they don't report is why voter turnout in the African-American community Was low. It may have been attributed to some Lack of enthusiasm for both candidates, but there is concrete evidence That the voter turnout was lower in the African-American community Because of these voter suppression techniques. Voter roll purges through Crosscheck, um, Chris Kovac and, and, the, and Some of these changes in the voter ID laws because of because the Supreme Court struck down uh, Section 5 of the Voter Rights Act. So um, mm. moving forward, let's focus on that this topic and let's make sure because we need to swing this election in 2018. Um, I think we got time for one more. Um, speaking of black power, um,
0: or lack thereof, and, and,
1: uh, <laughs> lack thereof, let's talk about economic power. So um, you know, inequality is, is is Talked about a lot um, We don't talk a lot of It's not a lot of focus on You know uh, African American wealth Yeah, there is somewhat um, A discussion about Wealth inequality as it pertains to African Americans But one thing that and And then what are we going to do about it So you talk about jobs And so um, one story that went underreported, even during the election, when uh, all candidates talked about, you know, we'll bring jobs back, one thing they didn't talk about was how jobs were being lost. And they were being lost not necessarily to globalization, but to automation, to digitization right. of industries. Um, and there are studies out there that indicate that a massive amount of jobs would be lost by um by 2020. Uh, recently, the Joint Center for Political and Economic Studies put out um, in a, a short report um, on December 18, 2017, uh, which is Race and Jobs at High Risk to Automation. And uh, they made real quick, they made a key one of their key findings was that African American workers are under overrepresented in particular jobs with a high risk of being eliminated or fundamentally changed by automation. Um, so there are high number of African-American workers who are cashiers, cooks, combined food preparation, serving workers, production workers, and laborers and freight slash stock slash material movers, security guards, bus drivers, taxi drivers, and chauffeurs. And these are jobs that are at a high risk of being automated. Um, all right. I don't have time to go through that whole list, but go to that report and look at it. Um, uh, so I'll get your comments there on that one, Chris. Uh, Man, no, being I mean, aware. Ain't much, where, where, go there,
0: ahead.
1: There ain't much. There ain't much to add to that. I mean, even when, during
0: the campaign, when they were promising to bring all these manufacturing jobs back, no. I mean, in in a capitalist business structure, that the odds are to maximize profits, right? So the way you maximize profits is that you you pay as little in and get as much out. Right. So right. if you can if you if it if 20, 30 years ago, it took six guys to put together a, a, a Chevrolet Camaro and now it takes one person to push a button or two people, those jobs aren't coming back. They're not coming back. If it took X number of people to put together some garments and now it can be done with one person to push the button to two people, they're not coming back. And so if, yeah. and so, as a pe- if people of color, black and Latino in particular in this country, since we're at the back of the line on almost all the economic strata, those are the ones who are going to be impacted the most. And that article you sent, I think, was in Black Enterprise, was real telling about the number of jobs that, yeah. that impact people of color that are going to be affected by automation. That's an issue I think that definitely was underreported and we have to pay more attention to moving in 2018 because automation is going to take jobs away, Period. And the impact it's going to have in challenged and distressed communities like ours, Latino communities, and other poor white communities, it's going to be serious. And they're not—they're not. They're not and the pixie dust isn't going to bring these jobs back. When when these it you know captains of industry want to maximize profits, they're not going to lose money by spending money on workers they don't need. And there ain't no substitute for that.
1: There's no substitute. It's a juggernaut. It's, it's here. It's coming. It's, it's, and you, I meet with a lot of these guys, um, and they're talking about efficiencies, and you know how can they cut costs? And the first cost that they that they and I and I say I'm talking to these guys. I mean, as in my day job as a small business attorney and and, and, and labor attorney, these guys uh, uh, the first cost that they control is labor costs. They cut they they, they control it through. Through eliminating your, your paid benefits, and they control it by freezing your, your wages, and ultimately they they control it by eliminating jobs through layoffs and uh, re-organ, reorganizations and plant closures. Um, it's something that mm-hmm. you know, an organization I work I work with, Collective Commons Alliance. This is it's something that we talk about and that we're working to 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 uh, mitigate. Uh, That, But, you know, to put your head in the sand about that and and not become uh, digitized yourself is to contribute to this bigger wealth inequality. So it's an underreported story, but it's one we're going to start pushing a little bit more uh, here because, you know, we can't keep losing. Exactly. Yeah. So... Uh, I'd like to get to to black wealth inequality. There's another, I'm going to point people to another article. Uh, I think I told you about it. Um, The name of it is Foreclosed. It's by Ryan Cooper and Matt Bruning, and it's put out by the People's Policy Project. Um, And they do an analysis of how uh, black people lost their wealth during the foreclosure crisis. And right. uh, were left behind during the so-called um, recovery and the bailout, um, and uh, they they're pretty critical of Obama on that. But I think you know uh, you know whether he could have stopped it or did more, um, you, you know, is debatable. I think you know he was beholden to his donors. Uh, but it's a very um, it's 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 an article that you should check out. Um, because they talk about the methodology of how we got here, and then uh, how black folks—the um, history of, of how you know black people were uh, left at the starting line when it came to wealth creation—why? Because we were slaves, obviously, and then Jim Crow laws. But when we began, at the point we began to develop and accumulate some wealth, it was through our housing, and then it was wiped out during this foreclosure crisis. Right. Um, what's important about that, at least in my estimation, Chris, is is that you know you can see some of the same signs happening uh, now in the economy, and, and you know it's important for us to to know these signs. Like you said before, you know, um, uh, you know, it's kind of out in the open now, so the time is now to organize and and, and be. Uh, well, and, I mean, and, and be cognizant. The reality, with, when, the housing,
0: when the housing crisis hit the reality for, and, and people of color were most affected because most of our yep. wealth, as little as it was, was tied up in our homes. So, you know, as a community, we don't have, the, I don't remember the wealth gap between the white and black community, but it's huge. There is a number I just can't remember off the top of my hand, but it's very easy to find. And it's huge. And one of the reasons it's huge is that we don't have generational wealth. We don't pass on estates yeah. from one black generation to the next. So. And George Bush really pushed this, the son, George W. Bush, but he pushed black the black community to buy homes as a way to get a foothold in establishing generational wealth. So when, you know, all these folks bought these homes and then lost them, it wasn't like there was a cushion of generational wealth to fall back on. So the, the communities most devastated were mostly the black community and people Robert Shear, um, is a writer, he used to teach us out here. Yeah. I, think, I think UCLA. But he, he wrote extensively He's on the impact of right USC. He wrote extensively on the impact that the housing crisis had in communities of color, and in particular where these communities were left hanging. People lost their homes and thus their generational wealth, with a little bit they had. While the banks were made whole, and that was his whole thing. We made the banks whole, who actually caused and benefited from this crisis, and left the people most affected out to dry. And that's going to linger for generations because of that.
1: Yeah. 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 Um All right, brother. Well that kinda of wraps it up. Um you got any other uh stories you want to throw out there before we uh No I am I'm hoping people
0: are tuning in. I'm looking forward to a great year and I'm I'm I wanna wish everybody a happy new year and um may they work hard and get everything they want and deserve. And uh never give up the fight. Ever.
1: Ever. Never. Don't have a choice. You had ancestors that didn't. You got kids that you need to uh, look out for and, and provide an example for. I mean, that's why I'm at, Chris. So, uh, well, thank you, brother. Um, we'll be back next week, same time. Uh, you can subscribe to our show on iTunes and SoundCloud. Um, please provide us a rating and a review, uh, good or bad. And any and all constructive criticism is welcome. Uh, We do have a Facebook page. You can do the same on our Facebook page, um, the Decoding Society. And until next time, take care. Thanks, Chris. Thanks, man. I'll talk to you next week. All right. Bye-bye.